0: Hey, hey,
1: welcome to Let Me Say This. I'm your host, Connie Christian Watson. and I got some of my favorite people on here today. I got Brent. Oh, Brand's got something dick. Well, Brand is- <laughs> <laughs> just jumped uh, out for a minute. Uh and my uh, friend uh Dr. Dave Bernhard what's a day. <laughs> <laughs> i'm doing good good to see got you got to get Good yeah. to get and, and we also have a guest correspondent out here by uh my nephew class son uh Quintus christian hi how you doing i'm doing good okay so um when the brand gets back we'll <clears throat> we'll go in and start but
2: how's your week been so far today <sighs> it's been okay you know uh, it's it's kind of like we're in the middle of a pandemic i'm at home I'm safe. Um, the world is shit. I would just, I mean, it's, it's stressful. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, um, I don't even know where to start.
1: Yeah. None of us do. Brand, how's your week mean?
3: Um, sorry. I'm like refocusing after seeing that my child was a out of bed and b throwing things off the banister. <laughs> um, so this moment wasn't great. Um, it's, it's, uh, I think this has been a really kind of hard and awful week. So, um, we'll talk more, but you know, we talked, I told you about this in the messages. So I have a, I have a blended family now. So, uh, my, I married my, well, my husband, that's who I married. Um, and I have a seven year old daughter who is black and he has a nine year old daughter who's white and, um, kind of, introducing these it's been the last few weeks though it hasn't been just this week
0: right Um, right right
3: but introducing these conversations about why the world is different for these two children um and it's been just kind of painful and terrible
0: yeah yeah that's where
1: we are right now painful and terrible that's our way (laughs) how's your week been (sighs)
0: it's been interesting i don't even know what so go ahead
1: keep going
0: like I don't even know. It's so I'm so confused. It's like I don't even know. It's just so much been happening. Just so much stuff. Yeah, yeah a lot.
1: That's the train going through yeah it, it has been a lot. Um, so I'm gonna this damn like, train. Okay, so <laughs> I'm gonna. Can y'all hear that? A little bit. Okay, yeah, it's terrible. But anyway, so we're gonna go ahead and get started. But uh, so today I want to talk a little bit about. You know, what's going on in Minneapolis right now, Minnesota, with uh, the murder of uh, George Floyd, a black man who was murdered by a police officer on Memorial Day of all days, Mm -hmm. um, by another knee to the neck, uh, which is is a terrible way to die. Uh, And a little bit about the the response from all sides about this and, and why do we keep having these problems? I, I think that's the thing that bothers me. Like, we keep seeing this happen, and it I don't know. I was talking to a friend today, and he's like, you know, we, this happens. We protest, and they kind of placate us for a minute, and then the next thing you know, it's like back to business as usual. Mm-hmm. So um, last night, I, I don't know. I, I usually try not to stress out about stuff like this. But last night, I had trouble going to sleep because I'm like, we're, we're living in total chaos right now. I mean, this is like so chaotic, and we get, we're getting no leadership from anywhere right now at all. And I can say I'm glad that the police chief fired the four officers who were involved, but that's not enough. And I think that's what the protesters were upset about. Well, like that's just not enough. Yay, yeah, good, you finally uh, fired somebody, but that's just not enough. Um, and like, wh- what are your what are your thoughts on that, Brand? Like, tell me, tell me, as a, as a mother of 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 a black child who's growing up uh, who is marginalized on a lot of different levels. Uh, You know, her, her level of marginalization got worse, (laughs) you know, in in the last few months. So tell me a little bit about that as as your, your experience.
3: So um, I think the thing that's heartbreaking to me, so I saw a lot of people today post um, very happy that, the officer who put his neck put his knee on George Floyd's neck has been arrested and charged and it's it's not that I'm not happy about that it's that that doesn't mean very much absent a conviction um and there've been I feel like there've just been so many false starts on that sort of front right we've seen so many police officers where we think oh finally they're not just on administrative leave. They've been fired. Oh, they've been charged. Oh, but they weren't, they, you know, they were found not guilty, right? Um, so I think it's hard for, it's, it's like I get more and more cynical every time. Um, and I think one of the hardest things for me, especially with the kids, is that it is this question mark. You know, Tony, you and I talked about this, oh, now I can't even remember how long ago a black man killed in his <laughs> apartment by a white pro- a white police officer she walked right, in right. Thought it was her apartment killed him and she was found guilty but the thing that was to me and i'm white and privileged all the ways one can be um the thing that was soul crushing to me was like people were so happy that she got convicted that it's like we it's like people who look like me forgot that there was this long period where it was totally unclear that she would be convicted. Mm -hmm. So she walked into an apartment that was not hers and shot the man who lived there, that it was like, Oh, but is that really how bad is, does she really deserve to pay for that for the rest of her life? Right? Like, and so I feel like, I've already seen posts today that said, wait till you see the medical examiner's report. You're not gonna be happy with what you see if you think this was just a straightforward. And I, it just this constant like, yeah, but, like, yeah, but it wasn't that bad. Or yeah, but it wasn't as bad as if they'd killed a white person. Or like, yeah, but okay, it was bad, but they're probably not gonna actually be convicted for it. And I just, like, trying to teach your kids to be good people and to not fear the world or trying, right? So what, sorry, I'm rambling now. But so part of the thing that struck me this week is really hard was the combination of Amy Cooper and George Floyd mm-hmm. um, because I could not bring myself to watch the video of George Floyd, I just, I just couldn't. But I watched the video of Amy Cooper and it it was terrifying. Like I'd read the articles, I'd seen the headlines but to watch her say with malice, I'm going to call them and tell them an African-American man is like, whoa, she knew what she was doing. And so having these conversations with my two children, one white, one not, and explain the power differential to them, but in a way that makes it clear that you can't weaponize that the way Amy could, like, <laughs> I just, I, I'm just feeling, Right, there, there is a factual power differential. It is so powerful that we don't even know if this man who we watched kill a man on camera, which isn't even the first time everybody keeps being like, and we have it on film. That's not even new. Right. Right. There's right. nothing yeah. about that that makes this case new. And so the idea that people are like, oh, we have it on film this time. And but, but like, yeah, no, that's happened. And they've gotten off before. So there's no reassurance there. And so, tr- trying to teach kids what justice should look like while also right, right. preparing them for a factual power differential but also making sure that one of them is not facing the world afraid and one of them is not facing the world equipped to weaponize that power di- it just so anyway as a mother i just like i i have like can we just can we just stop can it just
1: yes, stop? Right. <laughs> you, you know you you brought up a, a really good point about um you know, of seeing this on video, and people are like, "Well, we finally got on video. We've had them on video. We have Philando Castile on video. We have my we we have, there have been so many people that we've seen on video, and it still begs the question: Well, did they did they deserve it anyway? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you know, even if he had crack cocaine, whatever, in his blood um, toxicology report, that's no reason that this man should have been killed on the ground like a dog and and, it, and it's interesting, you know we talk about what about-ism a lot, but we don't talk about it enough when it comes to abject racism, so like we talk about it when we talk about the Republicans and the Democrats, the Republicans are always what about what about We don't talk about it in the context of racism, because what happens is when black people get killed, I'm not even going to say when they do something, but when they get killed, the first thing that you know your problematic white brothers and sisters want to do. It said, well, what about this? Well, they Mm -hmm. did it. Oh, if you only saw what was in his blood, none of that, because we have a, we supposed to have a system of um of due process. Even if he did have crack in his system, even if he had cocaine, if he had been just like sits in the dirt drunk, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, none of that in any court of law is going to get you the fucking death penalty. Mm-hmm. So you know, so 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 so, and and then conversely, when we talk about the white avianism, we don't get that when white people do stuff. We get the exact opposite. Definitely. We get oh, we know we saw him raping this girl behind this this dumpster, but we can't put this poor white boy in jail because it can ruin his life.
3: He's such, such, such be- a he is such. A fast swimmer, you guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, We're not paying enough attention to how quickly Brock Turner
1: can swim. Right. Yeah, Brock Turner can swim, so he shouldn't go to jail. And even, even, I posted a video the other day from TMZ, and this white woman is talking to this officer. He pulled her over for some like violation, like maybe a light out or something. And uh, she was mm-hmm. like, "Well, uh, you just give me a warning and let me go on my way." Yep. You're like, "Ma'am, you need to get out the car. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna get out the car, ma'am. Get out the car." I'm not. She get turns the key. And drives off. Let me just say this. Had that been a black person, male or female, Sandra Bland, mm-hmm. she would have been dead. Mm-hmm. She would have been dead on the spot. I was like, this video went on about three minutes too long for me. Because she should have, <laughs> not that she should have been shot, but had she been black, she would have been shot. But we, when white people do shit, we don't say, well, wait till you see what her toxicology report is. Like, wait till you see what she did with her AARP card. We don't do that when white people get get stuff done, and it and it, and it sickens me. It absolutely sickens me. Um, but yeah, those are really good. And I want to talk about when we talk about how it relates to children. I do want to go back to the weaponization and how the dichotomy works with your kids. Dave, what, you've been doing some really good posts this week. Uh, I actually saw one of your posts. I'm like. If your pastor ain't talking about this shit, you need to find another church because you you have pastors around the city, black and white. Uh, I kind of expect it from the white conservative pastors, regardless of what their denomination is. Uh, But the black pastors, I'm like, y'all, y'all scared to say something like Mm -hmm. what are you afraid of? And what I realized is that even during the civil rights era and even on up to now, white people can pay black leaders to be silent. They pay them to be silent. They pay other white leaders to be silent. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's one of those things where we get riled up, and then the next thing you know, um, well, we riled up. But then you get some like savior person comes and say, "Well, you know, maybe we should do this, and maybe we should just pray." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Fuck that! Like, that ain't never no, <laughs> that's not gonna solve this right now." Right. You know, I, I believe in prayer words, but this is it, 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 this is not gonna fix our situation right now. So, they like, like for you being a minister and watching this unfold and to see your, your white clergy members being silent upon uh, on this, what you, what, 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 tell me about your thoughts right now. Uh, so,
2: so, yeah, want to. before I say that, I just want to tag on what, what Ben was talking about. I just, I think, um, I can't imagine having to raise kids and explain that difference, which is a difference that we all live with, but then trying to put that in words that a seven-year-old, nine-year-old, that they can understand, you know, As, I mean, when I'm talking to my 17 year old, I have, I have to think about how I'm explaining this stuff, you know? Um, but I think that's kind of what you, exactly what you're talking about, Tony there. And, and the, the way that religion um, the way that white evangelical Christianity weaponizes empathy, which is, I mean, empathy is the thing, like we want religion, like this is supposed to be about the heart. We're supposed to love people. And, and it is just that it is, um, it's, it's not deployed equally. (laughs) It's deployed very partially. I was having a conversation with uh, someone about the um, Amy Cooper video, um, a white woman who, who kept coming back to, um, I would be terrified if someone was filming me and I asked them to stop and they kept following me and wouldn't stop filming me. Okay, so like her, her empathy immediately went to the white woman because she was—that's who she identifies with, even though like I, I, I watched, I did watch that video. I haven't also can't bring myself to watch the George Floyd video. No, she she came up to the camera and and pointed at it like this. Yeah. this was not that's so that is a fear response, but that is an aggressive fear response, right? So so her, but her empathy all went towards towards the woman. And and I said, well, I I understand, but you keep, you keep bringing it back to, she was justified in this. And for for white folks, see, see don't realize they're looking at the world through the lens of whiteness, but they think about, of course, I would be afraid of black people because black people are criminals. I mean, that's, that's what they're being, that's their programming. And um, just like with the Ahmed Arbery case, there were people who were trying to justify his slaying by the fact that he, there was video of him walking into a a house under construction. I have walked into houses under construction, especially in my neighborhood. Oh, I'm curious to see what's the layout of this place going to be like. A white person can walk right in. I I was never afraid that someone's going to shoot me for trespassing cuz I'm walking into a, you know, a building that doesn't have walls up yet. That's, right. you know, I recognize that might be dangerous. Someone might come along and say, "Hey, you shouldn't be in there." But I'm not going to die for it. And and I think so so this is, this is not a perfect analogy for racism and please don't, but I'm a cyclist and I know when I get on the road that there's an element of danger. Now, the thing is, cars are supposed to pass three feet. They're supposed to give me three feet. Um, we know that um, almost most of the cases where cyclists die, it's the motorist's fault, um, but very few motorists are ever convicted because most people drive. Most people don't ride a bike. And so when they're sitting in the jury, um, they're thinking, oh, I could, I could have hit that guy the other day, right? Their, their sympathy immediately goes to the person who did the violence. Right. And, I, and I think white people are walking around that way all the time because, because there's this uh, – the programming, the implicit bias, which is that, well, when I see, when I see a black face, I know that my fear response – only takes about 35 milliseconds, boom, and I've categorized this person as as a threat, dangerous, criminal. I mean, all of this is fear. I mean, all of it is it is um, it's programming. It, just like your, your your neural pathways create a rut, just like a wagon wheel going down a path, and you automate you go from here to there. So I see a I see a black face, and I associate it with some with negativity, and if your fear response. So this is, is, I'm not, I'm not excusing anybody. Your fear response is 30 milliseconds. Your rational brain is 250 milliseconds. So you put a gun in someone's hand and they have a fear response. What happens is they, they make an action and then 250 milliseconds later, they justify it. That's how it works.
1: There's a, um, there's a series on Netflix. I think they have about eight episodes called uh, 100 humans Mm -hmm. and they get two people from every state and they got, you, you name a, a, uh, ethnicity or orientation they got everybody in there and what they're doing is they're trying to see how people react to certain things so the first one I saw was on what we consider to be attractive and of course American has got these white skin and blonde hair and blue eyes you know but there was one episode that talked about um, are you biased and they had these um, these people with these guns and what, ha- what would happen is they would put them like in a laser tag white room and then they have these two figures that come out and it was amazing that the white people were even more so, even some of the black people, if they had two faces, and one black, one face was black and one face was white, most people shot the black face first. Mm. You know, and it's, and it's one of those things that, you know, not only are white people programmed to believe that we are cruel and monsters, but a lot of us are too. And that's one of the things I have to try to remind younger people when they're talking, especially young black progressives, when they're talking about, well, you know, Joe Biden helped with the uh, crime bill. Everybody named Mama helped with the crime bill. Black clergy members were helping with the crime bill. Mm. People in they, were, I was for the crime bill because I didn't want to get caught. 1993 was a very, very traumatic year for people and, and black people in particular. You know, like no one knew what to do with the crack epidemic. No one knew what to do with the gangs. No one knew what to do with drugs. But so the answer back then was, let's just put them all in jail. Well, now since white people are doing uh, crack, Mm-hmm. And opioids, let's go ahead and treat them. And, you know, and and, and 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 again, because we normally take our 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 directions from the white leadership, of course they're gonna say put the black people in jail. But then when the white people come let's go ahead and try to try to treat them. But this this was not just something that white people did. Black people were involved in that too, because we were fed up. Like, what the fuck we're we gonna do? And the and the issue with that, when you talk, when you think about even more <clears throat> systemic racism. Is the fact that because of like poverty, which black people live in, like the lack of uh of attainment of, of education, all these things come together to put us in a situation where we're different. I had to explain to one of my nephews this week. He made a post like, you know, black my and y'all. I know y'all heard this. You know, black lives should matter to everybody, but they seem to not to matter to the black people on the whole black and black crime thing. And I had to educate him on. Black-on-black black crime is a racist trope created by, black, by white people to make us look bad, and we have adopted it. Mm-hmm. Because no one talks about white-on-white white crime. We know statistically that people who have assaults are usually the same race as their attacker. But no one talks about white-on-white white crime. It's like black-on-black crime, we want to make black people seem worse. And it's really frustrating for me having to try to explain that to black people.
2: Um,
1: but it's, this has been so much questions. Let me ask you this. Quintus is 15 years old. Uh, he's uh, a rising sophomore, and we know not have to. He's very, very smart. He's a writer. Uh, <laughs> don't be embarrassed now. But, like, as a as a young black man who could possibly be stopped by the police uh, for no reason, how does that make you feel?
0: Um, I feel like... Can you ask that question again,
1: Blake? How, how does it make you feel that you could be stopped and possibly killed by a police officer for no good reason?
0: it makes me, it really makes me mad, it just makes me confused, because I don't understand, I probably will never understand, but I don't understand why, like, people don't like black people for no reason, but like, I just don't, like, what is there not to like? Yeah, <laughs> what, what is there not to like, and
1: that I agree. kind of bad, but, like, no, 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 I mean, what is, what is there not to like? So, so, so which one of y'all want to tackle, like, race, like the whole construct of race. And I want to talk about that again because I think that will shed a little bit of light on what being black means because we're all the same race. Me, you, Brian Day, we all are the human race. I mean, we can interbreed if we were the same, if we were not closely genetically related, we could not you know, crossbreed. So like, it, we're all the same race. We just got different skin colors because of physi- physiological and evolutionary <laughs> differences. Uh, well, well, well—not evolutionary. What word I'm talking about? Um. Anyway, you know, I can't think of the word, but but talk about the construct of race and what 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 role it plays in this in this in this in this crazy.
3: So, um, first of all, one of the things I wanted to say I, when I heard you say Black Lives Matter, I was thinking the in the Michael Che comedy special.
2: Yes. Um, yes.
3: He has this great moment. He has uh, some serious zingers about Black Lives Matter. So like one of the points he makes that is so brilliant to me is like, we didn't say they mattered more. We didn't even say they mattered as much. Our statement was simply they matter. And people were like, <laughs> no, <laughs> Like it caused outreach to merely assert that there was some significance attached. Um, but my favorite is he says that um, on nine 11, he's going to, he's going to wear a shirt that says all buildings matter. So, no. like, <laughs> see. See how? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, um, so I read this great thing. uh, I used to, at my former college, we taught it. Um, Cornell West has this really fascinating (laughs) breakdown, especially in my, so I'm a college professor. So um, one of the things we worked a lot on is like the canon, right? So who counts as the essential voices that you have to hear in philosophy, for instance. And, there's now a push to change it but forever the voices you had to hear were white western men right that was who you had to hear um and cornell west has this great um paper about basically how academics myself included um uh at basically the process of enlightenment coincides with mm-hmm construction of racism and then i always think of coates saying race is the child of racism it's not the father Mm -hmm. um so cornell west has this great thing where he says look we at the in one fell swoop we adopted the scientific method right that like evidence is all that matters if you can see it with your eyes that's all that matters and then these same white people went into places where black people did not have access to education they didn't have and they said well look they're less intelligent than white people.
0: Mm.
3: So what, what is, what is the evidence telling us? The evidence is telling us that black people are less intelligent than white people. And then it just like, now you're locked in. Right. Um, And he also, he combines it with the fact that at the same time, um, Greek art was coming back into fashion. And so you picked up this like, like perfect storm of people associating um, what they could see with their eyes as most important. You don't have to look any deeper. You don't have to write what, what you can verify with your eyes is what's most important as evidence. And you can just take it and run with it. But also at a time when standards of beauty were reinforcing this particular kind of white standard of beauty. Um, and he basically argues that at least on the academic side, like that got locked in in the enlightenment and then it never left. Right. It right. just, it went on and on and on. And he said, he talks about, and Tony and I have talked about this a lot, right? He, he talks about, um, it set defaults. So even when authors would try to be more kind of, understanding of the context, like why might black persons be less well educated than white persons? Could it be because white persons systematically denied them access? No, surely not. Um, But even when people tried, they would describe the skin color, right? And we see this today, they would basically describe black skin color as a deviation. Even though globally, that's not quite right. It's not, it's not the way norms work. Um, And so we have this weird situation where a global minority became the default setting and everything else is a deviation and deviations have to be explained. Um, And historically, these have been explained in particularly negative contexts. So effectively, I was, this was the other thing I was trying to, I was trying to explain bias to my children and that was great. That was a really smooth discussion. I was trying to explain it as like your brain playing tricks on you. Right. From the things you, and so I was saying things like, well, can you name movies that are about a black person? Can you name children's books that are about a black person? And the movie that came up was the princess and the frog. Um, And because I'm a killjoy at every available opportunity, I was like, right. But she spends 75% of the movie as a frog. Mm -hmm. You don't actually see a black person for most of the movie. Right. Um, You see a frog and I'm, I'm just cynical enough to think I don't want the equation of animals and black people in my children's movies. <laughs> That's a subtle dose of badness coming your way. And the same thing with books. So um, one said, "Oh, well, I have lots of books about Martin Luther King Jr." Like, right? Do we have any books about black people just being black people? Like, just you know, one of my favorite bloggers wrote like, "Shoot," in her search for books for her children, she said like, "We." we couldn't play baseball unless we were integrating the damn league. Like there aren't just Mm -hmm. books about Mm -hmm. kids playing baseball and this one happens to have black skin. And so I think it's this real tragedy, right? That you end up with this really one dimensional picture of black people. And so people are growing up with their image and understanding because our neighborhoods are segregated. Our schools are segregated. Our churches are segregated. And so chances are your exposure to somebody who looks different from you is going to come through either your books, your movies, your TV, or their absence mm-hmm. in your books, your movies, and your TV. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's one of these really strange things where um, it starts so early that it's hard to even pinpoint, like, oh, that's the moment that things yeah. went wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's super fun to explain to children. We should do it a lot.
1: Yeah, Dave. What about you? I mean, when you think about like the creation of racism, we talked about that a lot with the um, podcast that we're listening to. Oh, yeah. Um, but we, do you think about the creation of racism and what it, what it meant to white people and what it did to black people? Mm-hmm. Like people don't under, people if people still have a trouble have trouble understanding that race is a concept. Like it really doesn't exist. Yeah.
2: So, so talk a little bit about that for me. Yeah, well, yeah. the The podcast you're referring to is Seeing White. It's uh, seen on radio. Great. I mean, I, I wish I wish I could make it required listening for for huge numbers of people. Um, but one of the things they talk about is just this whole concept of whiteness and and the fact that we go through most of our life not even questioning it. So the the lens of whiteness uh, is is simply that yeah that I'm I'm white. Why would I? Why would I define that? And the only reason that makes any sense is by defining myself against someone else who's not white, who's a person of, person of color. Um, none of these labels make any sense. They didn't even exist, as Bryn said, before the uh, Enlightenment. Before that, your sense of difference was, well, I'm Irish and that person's German and I might be biased against that person. And and you, you'll get this kind of... Um, apologetics from white people about, well, you know, the Irish were discriminated against when they came to America and they were indentured servants and look how well they've done, you know, (laughs) as to to blame black people for, you know, 400, (laughs) 600 years of, of systemic oppression. Um, Well, it's because Irish got to qualify as white at some point they got to, you know, uh, they, they might not have in Europe, (laughs) but they come over and now, okay, well, you're, you're okay. You can be in the club. And and I one of my favorite episodes in that podcast is when you have uh, someone who is a high class Hindu, high caste Hindu. Seek, yeah, he's a Sikh. I'm yeah, sorry, high caste Sikh. See, so there's my yeah. my uh, colonialist tendencies coming out there. <laughs> he's a high caste Sikh. So he comes to America and he says, "Well, I wanna I wanna be a citizen." And they say, "Well, then you can't because you're not white." And he says, "What are you talking about? I'm from the Caucasus, the Caucasian." You know, descriptor. I'm from that place, and and because of where I come from, I'm on the top in my country and on our system. So I, when I come to here, I should be on the top, and and that that's that's the lens through which they're seeing whiteness, and of course. They, they, there was yeah. there, there was another thing that he said because uh-huh. this happened in 1922 because our
1: immigration laws at that time were the only way you could become a citizen was being white. He says I'm a high caste Sikh, and we treat Lowercaste the same way y'all treat black yes. people, so I must yes. be white.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. So it's like what? So we're just the, these systems of domination and oppression ought to translate. So, right. <laughs> right, um, right. So uh, yeah, uh, it's and, and I think you know we go through life without. Now, obviously, there is such a thing as white and black because we've constructed it, right? I mean, there's right. there's black Twitter and there's white Twitter. There's black situation comedy and there's, you know, white. T- a
1: whole bunch of different types of Twitters I just recently found. Well, out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like,
2: yes, oh Yes.
3: Saying it's a social contract, construct doesn't mean it's not real. I right. My students all the time. I have like yes. money is a social construct.
2: Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's, but it's just, it, it's, it's, fascinating because as, as you both have said, there's no scientific basis. There's no, um, and, and it, and it really and I, so, one of my friends, who's a uh, who calls himself a blurred, a black nerd, uh, really plays itself out in places like that, where you have someone, you know, someone who loves science fiction. Oh well, that's that's too white. Well, no, it's not. There's lots of black science fiction, and there, and lots of black people can like science fiction, even if it features white folks, and and vice versa. Thank God we've got Wakanda. I mean, there's so right. <laughs> much, like, yeah. I mean, like, people, Octavia butler's just now getting the recognition she deserves. Um, N.K. Jemison, wonderful science fiction uh, author or fantasy author, but anyway. So, so like, if if you were, I, I'm I'm saying this like you don't know it. If you're a black kid and you love fantasy and wizards and science fiction, um, it's you you feel homeless, right? And I I feel like that's, God, what a tr- what a tragedy, for so many of us. And I think the other thing about whiteness, I just want to tag on real quick, is that I think white people don't realize how much whiteness hurts them. Um, You know, even, even stuff like we'll joke about it. White men can't jump. White people don't have rhythm. Right. I I don't know how often I was shamed for like go junior high, you go to a dance, but none of the guys want to dance because dancing is gay and, but black people can dance.
1: Right. the gays and the white people have all yep. rhythm and the <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in the
0: dance
2: right right, and so so you, if you're not encouraged and I'm, I'm not right. lamenting my like oh God, I wish I were I, my secret life was a dancer, <laughs> I'm just saying like if you walk around your whole life and you you feel like, oh, I can't dance i can't and people people do all already do this singing, oh, I don't have a good voice, I'm a terrible singer. well, do you right, sing? Right. do you right. sing, oh God, anyway, it just pisses me off, like we don't realize how how impoverished we are, how whiteness impoverishes white people.
3: Um, Beverly Uh, Tatum has a great thing about that, where she talks about like one of the tragedies. um, So there are, if we want to be like super American capitalist about it, there's the tragedy, right? Racism and sexism have economic costs because you're not hiring highly qualified people, Mm -hmm. but also One of the things she talks about is if you look at very young children, often their friendship groups are really diverse, Mm -hmm. and then they start to break apart, and then you reach the, like, the title of her book, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria, right? And she talks about this, like, oppositional identity development, right? Mm -hmm. That, like, it can be something... Um, that the white kid doesn't even notice, right? So the black kid experiences something, a teacher says something, and the black kid says to their white friend something about it. And the white friend says something like, I'm sure they didn't mean it because they see mm-hmm. it like this. And now you've got a moment where like, oh, my white friend doesn't really understand and, that, and then you start to develop this kind of oppositional identity. And so I think one of the things that's interesting is she talks about um, how uncomfortable white people are with black people mm-hmm. as a result of racism right and how many relationships they lose out on um how many meaningful conversations for kids especially like you don't quite understand what happens to the friendships you don't know what's gone on there um i loved i was thinking about the the they can't dance white, white white boys can't dance um mm-hmm. Claude Steele, so one of my favorite books is Whistling Vivaldi, and it's about stereotype threat. So the idea of stereotype threat is that anytime you're having to worry about conforming to or defying a stereotype, you will underperform on the task at hand. Mm-hmm. So your cognitive resources are limited, and you're splitting off a chunk of them to, consciously or not to worry about this thing That you shouldn't have to worry about. And Steele runs this across a bunch of contexts. So in particular, and one of my favorite things about Steele is how careful he is with research. Like he understands that research has an ethical dimension Mm -hmm. and that even the questions you ask can be problematic. So um, like after Larry Summers, when he was president of Harvard, said that like maybe there aren't women in science and math because they're just not as good at it uh steel ran stereotype threat research there and one of my things i love is that he takes really seriously that like this is a dangerous thing to do because mm-hmm. i think it's stereotype threat but if i can't show it i may very well have just handed people an argument they didn't mm-hmm. but he does one with um i think it's university of michigan undergrads men at the university of it's michigan or minnesota he has them perform an activity that if you read it is basically miniature golf. I don't know how to read this in a way that's not miniature golf. Mm -hmm. And in one version of the study, he tells them that he's studying long term strategic planning. And in one version of the study, he tells them he is examining natural athletic ability. And it's exactly the same task. And when he tells them he's examining long term strategic planning, the black students underperform. And when he tells them he's studying natural athletic ability, the white students underperform.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: so it's one of these things where he wants to say like, look, sometimes we don't even, it, it's not just that we're not conscious of the stereotype while it's happening. We may not even like in the abstract, be conscious of the stereotype, right? Mm-hmm. But the stereotype of black people being really good at sports, a corollary is the stereotype that white boys are not as good as, but right. Like, yeah, so you're operating yeah. with this. It's it's weighing on your brain whether you know it is or
2: not. I think so. Bring that. This that reminds me. Uh, this may be the same same person doing the same research. There was a task uh, between boys and girls, and they were told it, either it was a geometry task or a. Um, Oh, I can't, th- or something more aesthetic, something more artistic. Ah, uh, drawing task. That's what it was. It's either geometry or drawing. And depending upon how it was described, the girls would perform better or the boys would perform better. Same task. Yeah. Yeah, because we're, we're already finding the stereotypes in our minds. You had a
0: question about stereotypes? Oh, no, I just had something to add on because I thought it was interesting. What's um, that? I had a friend, well, I have a friend. And when we were getting to know each other, he asked me what kind of music I like. And so he was like, I like rap. And I was like, I like jazz. And he was like, jazz he was like, oh, so you like white type of music. I was like, what does that mean? And then he was like, I guess more I got to know him. He was like, oh, you talk proper. You're acting white. And I was like, what mm-hmm. does that mean?
1: Yeah, stereotypes, uh. they, they hurt us all. And, and the worst part is using them against people who look like you. You know, and the other thing about stereotypes, they always hurt. I think people think that just because being able to dance well is a good thing in, like, recreational theory <laughs> mm-hmm. you know that you should be happy that every time you as a black person go to a party they're going to think you can dance like my right. husband can't dance like he cannot can dance you know and it's like this, this pressure that because you're black you're supposed to be able to perform because you're black you're supposed to be able to be able be a sports star but no one thinks about because you're black you're supposed to be smart because you're black you're you're, you're able to, to articulate a, a, a complete sentence or a thought you know because at that point you know, and white people do it, too. I, You know what? I, I hate when a white person tells me I'm articulate. Like, I want to punch them in the throat. <laughs> like, am That's, I not supposed to be articulate just because I'm black? You know, and, those, and those are the things that we deal with on a daily ba- basis, from within and from without. And, it's, and it's so, it is so tiring. I mean, it is so tiring. And that goes back into the stereotypes of, like, the negative stereotypes that you hear about black people. Well, mm-hmm. they're violent. You know, they're going to... I never forget, I was working in a retail, and I actually called a shop with a white guy who had sold a polo shirt, and I walk him up to the uh, security office, and they're busy watching these two black guys in the children's department. Well, one guy goes over to a wreck, he picks something up, then he looks over to his friends, they look at You know what they eventually went, went to do? They went and paid for it. But you got four security people on this monitor watching these black boys to see what they're going to do. While the white boy is stealing them blind, what my security uh, guy did a statistical um, um, demographics of people who got caught shoplifting at Brookwood Village. This is back in the nineties, and when they asked the the people who worked there, who do you think you get caught the most? They said young black people. It was old white ladies from Mount Brook yeah. in them blind, and they're able to do it because nobody is watching them because oh, that's a sweet old white lady. She ain't gonna steal nothing, but you gotta watch those negroes because you know they got sticky in. <sighs> Wow. You know, you know, and 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 I think even with the even with the um with the Floyd case, you know, he's a black man, he's a big black man. I don't like the way this twenty dollar bill looks. Let me call the police on it. Like, what the hell? No one does that.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and, and 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 I'm going to say this. Then we're going to go into a break. But even uh, still, at the end of the day, what he did was not anything that would get you a death sentence in anybody's court. Yeah. So I'm going to take a break, um, we're not going to wear. we're just going to take a break and then we'll come back because I got to run a commercial on myself.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hello, I'm Dr. Creed Trimble-Johnson. I'm a board certified family medicine physician and I'm the medical director at Living Well Prep Clinic. I know that sometimes there's a stigma attached with having to take a medication every single day. However, it's 96% effective against the HIV virus. As a provider and a mother, I would want my daughter to take control of her sexual health, and taking PrEP would be an option to keep herself safe.
1: If you have any questions about PrEP, please give us a call at the Living Well PrEP Clinic at 205 324 9822. So, welcome back to St. Al, thank
0: God to St. Let me say this. Wrong time, (laughs)
1: <laughs> I know, right? Too many podcasts going. Uh, so when we went on break, we're we're like wrapping up by talking about what bias and racism looks like, and I want to end uh, this this show talking about the response to the Floyd murder, um, both from Black people, from White people, and even from some progressives and and conservatives. Because at the end of the day, like I said earlier, when a White person does something, no one ever says well, let's just see what he, what he did before this happened. Or, you know, if you saw what he did before this, then you would feel different about it. Wait, we don't do that. What about it the one white people do stuff? You know, so now, again, I saw a lot of people talking about, well, you know, I, I, like, I agree with the protest, but they said, Luke, you don't get to tell me how to respond when you've been shitting on me for 400 years. You just don't get to do that. You know, at the end of the day, had that man not been killed, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So don't tell me about what he did before this happened. Don't tell me that the looting is too much because all this shit that they've taken with the looting can be replaced. You know what can't be replaced? This man's life. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I'm just tired of hearing about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Brian.
3: Yeah, so, so I said this during the break. I, the the they shouldn't be looting. Angers me on several levels. First of all, like. I'm sorry, did white people not just storm a capital with guns because they were being asked to make some Like, if you, if when you encounter a minor inconvenience, you lose your ever-loving mind. Like, do you remember in 2014 when protests were shutting down highways and, like, elected representatives were saying we should pass laws making it the case that motorists won't be charged if they mow down a protester? Like, the inconvenience you experience from traffic is so big that you think that justifies killing somebody but the inconvenience that black people are living with in america like they should just take it calmly and by the way when they did take it calmly and just quietly took a knee without anybody noticing you lost your minds over that too so that part like there's the right way to protest is making me crazy but the the looting that they shouldn't be looting feels to me like a yeah but that is serving to justify george floyd's death so it looks like it's serving to say oh yeah that was bad but and then everything that came before the butt is just gone like george floyd just right. disappeared his death just and he became part of this like indistinguishable mass of humans and we don't have to worry about him as an individual who had people who loved him and who had thoughts and dreams and an individual who's gone and is never coming because now we just know, yeah but like there's and it feels like A perfect storm of all the badness, right? It's telling black people how they ought to feel and how they ought to carry themselves and how they ought to make change. And it's white people who made change committing genocide saying, like, let me tell you how you actually change systems. You calmly protest. Okay, well, let's calmly protest and watch you all threaten to cancel the NFL. Like, just Mm -hmm. what in the world? And then. Um, so Tony said he hadn't seen this. Dave was nodding like he had. So there's also a pair of presidential tweets going around. Um, when the armed white people stormed a Capitol building demanding that businesses reopen death, be damned, uh, the president of the United States tweeted that they were very fine people and that the government, the governor should meet them and like try to put out the fires and he didn't mean the literal fires. He meant placate these people. They're good people. He tweeted about the the people currently protesting that they are thugs in all capital letters, by the way, just in case you didn't notice that he said thugs, he all caps it for us Um, and then said basically that when the looting starts, the shooting starts which is horrifying, uh, has a very racist history, and also, as a bonus, is the literal reverse of what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Right, so the shootings happened, and then... Right. The, right, like, yep. the, you missed the order of events. Yeah. But the combination of saying, like, people with... Uh, we saw the pictures. They were armed, mm-hmm. guns, right. like, strapped across their chests, and no one thought they were dangerous. No one. Mm-hmm. Which you just. Mm-hmm.
1: You just know, the, the thing about leave. that, the, the other thing about that is, and, 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 you know, it, 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 white people say, well, you know what, but, but they went to the Capitol, but they didn't loot and they didn't hurt anybody. Mm. And the problem <laughs> oh, with that God. is they didn't have <gasps> to. <They> didn't, <gasps> like, that's what I was telling my friend um, when he made that, that, that post. And Andy is a really good guy. I've known him since he was a teenager. But when he made that post, I'm like, you know, justice for white people is never delayed. No, you know, it's never delayed. When uh, that guy killed, what's her name, Justine Diamond, the white woman in in Minneapolis. I mean, it was quick. You fire. We're gonna try you. We're gonna convict you. There was no. Well, let us get the videotape so we can see what really happened. Let's go get the 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 mm-hmm. the, the, the 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 autopsy report. How the fuck? Does the autopsy report help you figure out whether or not he, this is actually a murder? We saw a man with his knee in a man's neck. The man whose knee was in his neck died. And you need an autopsy report to show that? Like, what the hell, people? Like, where, where are we in the upside down now? Like, it doesn't make any sense. But, you know, and, and again, white people, <laughs> well, you know, there may have been something else to happened. What the fuck is yeah. The man no. died. Yeah. There's nothing that you could tell me that would justify this man being dead right now. No. And, 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 it's, and it's ridiculous.
2: No. Uh, ben, something you said a minute ago also, me, so you talked about the protesters and the, the legislators trying to pass laws that allowed people to run over folks. Well, just shortly thereafter, you had this case in Charlottesville where Heather Heyer was killed because someone decided to use their car as a weapon. And like like, that was, I'm not, That's a direct line of, of rationale. If she hadn't, if she hadn't, and what you're saying, Tony, if she hadn't been white, if it had been a a black man that had died or a black woman that had died, I'd have a question about whether this guy that committed vehicular homicide, whether he was going to get convicted or not, you know? Right. It's, but the fact that she was white meant that he's now in jail. Um, The other thing about the, the, the whole pr- how telling people how to protest thing. Most people saying that have ever actually never been to a protest like right. violent or otherwise nonviolent. I mean, they've never marched for anything in their lives. Um, or and, had to. Or, or, had, or to. had to. Yeah. Or had to. So like, so, so like what, from all your vast experience in creating community change, you know how to actually change things. That's astonishing. Um, <laughs> the, the other thing is, although I am, I'm, a pastor and I'm committed to nonviolence. I also recognize that um, and, and, and what we know from changes in um, repressive regimes is that uh, it takes about three and a half percent of this has been some research. It was, it was in um, a book called, this is an uprising. I can't remember who the original uh, researcher was. Um, her name escapes me anyway, but found that um, nonviolent uprisings, typically three and a half percent of the population Gets involved, a government will be toppled. If it's a violent uprising, it's about six percent of the population. Okay, so there's a little bit difference there. Um, nonviolence has some strategic advantages, but right. the the issue with, with nonviolence, the only reason it works is because there's also the threat of violence if nonviolence doesn't work. So it's like you know you get to choose. We can either have we can either have nonviolent protest, do the easy way, do the hard way, and exactly what we said. So we saw. People kneeling in the NFL and and all the firestorm that came down on them about that. Colin, Colin Kaepernick still does not have a job, right? You know, playing for playing for the NFL. Um, so so yeah, it is it is completely the argument makes no sense. Now the it, people m- making that argument aren't going to be convinced by showing them that their argument makes no sense um, because it's so, there's it's all defensiveness. It's all. Um, I have some, I have some thoughts about that, but I, I'll bracket those for, for later.
3: <laughs> you know, the other thing I think about the nonviolence of uh, another, interestingly, pastor named David pointed this out to me a long time ago that, um, and he pointed out to me that my students were doing it. So he said, listen for it. And I used to teach at a, an almost all white college. My students never called them. They never referred to nonviolent protests. They referred to peaceful protests Mm-hmm. And this guy, David Sinclair, said, like, there was nothing peaceful about them. So you should remember that, like, nonviolence meant we're going to sit at the lunch counter. But it also meant that, like, we will have scalding coffee poured on us and yes. we will be beaten and then we will. Right. So, like, it wasn't peaceful. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, he was saying, like, it also somehow morphed into non-disruptive. Right. And so now we have the, like, super sanitized Martin Luther King Jr., version who just like, can't we all just hold hands? Right. So everybody knows I have a dream and nobody knows the letter from the Birmingham jail calling out well-meaning white folks. <laughs> um, and it was interestingly, it's again, this conversation with children. So um, one of our children said, um, well, how did Martin Luther King convince white people? And it was funny because my husband and I were like, he didn't right Like he got killed. Right. It's just that now we look back at it. Yep. <laughs> what a great, because he's no threat now, right? Mm-hmm. He's no threat now. And he said all these lovely, peaceful things. And now, because we think nonviolence equals peaceful, which now somehow equals not even disruptive, mm-hmm. like as though anything ever would have changed if there hadn't been disruption. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, right. Just, you know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, white people who try to use the civil rights movement I was gonna say like y'all super president, but he's not even good at doing it. But white people who are good at doing it, they will bring up all of the sanitized things. Well, you know, he didn't, he wouldn't be down with y'all throwing these bricks and all this other stuff. Yeah, but the threat was always there that this would happen if if you did not. And the other thing that I find interesting is is that somehow white people think that black people can fix racism. Yeah, I had a debate with a with a friend of mine uh, a little while ago. Uh, and we're talking about like how at this point, I'm literally looking at the, the, the cup is half empty and he's looking at it as half full. And my thing is like, black people did not create racism. So it's not our job to fix it. And, you know, I hear white people say all the time, I had a friend of mine call me on uh, Thursday, just in tears about the, the Floyd thing. It's like, well, Tony, what can we do? And I'm like, you know, talk to your racist ass grandma and your uncle Bob now and (laughs) and let them know that this is fucked up because Mm -hmm. I can't help you. Like, I don't know how to help white people with trying to talk to other white people about racism because when I talk to white people about racism, the first thing they'll say, well, what you just said was racist. First off, I can't be racist. Like, and I want black people to, I really want people to understand that. Racism is not something that is transferable. It belongs to white people, hook, line, and sinker. And this is something that every every white person in this country benefits from racism in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, uh Brian, uh when I was li- when I was uh reading um while the black kids sit together in the cafeteria, uh the argument
0: awesome- <laughs> She
1: she made a point to talk about what she was teaching at Duke, I think, or some college she was teaching at. How you know she had this white guy who was in her class. In the beginning of the class, he was like, "I don't believe in white privilege. Like this is just a bunch of bullshit. The black people gonna put up, the, you know, in the gays Talking about, and then she said at the end of the class, he was like, "You know, I kind of get what you're saying now, but I don't want to give mine up." Yes. <laughs> you know? And and it's like like you have to you have to tear down these systems like you you can't change it. It has to be broken down. It has to be reformed. You know, like, even the the issues that we're having, Dave, in the Methodist Church, Mm -hmm. you know, they are really, really big on, well, let's do LGBTQ inclusion, and, like, ta-da!
2: The (laughs) UMC
1: has done the thing. But it's in Y'all still 96% white. Yeah,
2: yeah, (laughs) right.
1: (laughs) Like, so don't say... We 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 fixed uh, it. yeah, right. We fixed it. You know, and it's not that when we had that um that Christmas service and I had to read that liturgy and they <laughs> gave me a, lit- they gave <laughs> a <liturgy>. oh, God. <laughs> oh God, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> they, go ahead. <laughs> Brian, they gave me a liturgy that said that the, the United Methodist Church was a place for all people. And I'm like, I'm the only black person in this damn church. Yes. That was the first thing. Yes. So don't say it's for all people just say y'all want to let gay people in and let this that be it yes because it, and I said okay I want to change this like every time I saw all I changed the LGBTQ yes <laughs> because it's, it's not the truth and I couldn't do that I could not I could not bring myself to do that <clears throat> and I also <clears throat> thanks to Dave for showing me how to protest it, like people didn't realize that I was protesting yes. you know that that thought but I but I was protesting the thought that white people think that just because we're okay with the gays, then we're no longer racist. You right. know, white gay people think, well, you know, we're white and gay. We're marginalized too, girl. So we got – you are racist as fuck. Like, this is what this is. This is what this looks like. And it's troubling because I think there are some well-intentioned white people who want to try to do better. But then you open your mouth and you're like, oh, my God, just shut up. Like, just shut up and stop talking. <laughs>
2: I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna also bring up the Hezekiah Walker, Hezekiah oh, Jackson uh, <laughs> mix mix up. Oh my so, gosh! So, wait, a minute, hold on. So that whole song thing
1: was a total debacle. So oh, white no. people doing black music. They did. Uh, what's the name of the song? Um, I need, uh, you to, I survive. need you to survive. Yeah, beautiful One, song. It was auditory, It was unbelievably it was terrible. terrible. Yeah, <laughs> like the song was unrecognizable. Yeah, let's <laughs> start there. And it's by Hezekiah Walker, who's a gospel artist. (laughs) They had on there Hezekiah Jackson, who used to be the president of the local (laughs) NAACP. But, yeah,
2: he's
1: black and he's Hezekiah, so. He's he's, he's Hezekiah. They're all the same. Nobody knows the difference. But, you know, and it's it's these responses that, you know, this kind of makes my skin crawl sometimes. But, like, you don't get to tell people how to react to being oppressed. You know, you just don't get to do that. And I think sometimes, you know, in in in, a, in an attempt to, like, diffuse the situation, we'd rather just sweep it up under the table and pretend that it doesn't exist. And that doesn't help the situation at all. Mm-hmm. So, look, this is almost up for the hour. Before we go, I want the two of you, Quintus, you think about something you want to say too, though. But uh, Dave and Brian, I want you to tell me a message that you want your wife's people to know about this situation like 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 one how they should be reacting to it and what can they do to make it better Mm -hmm. who wants to go first
3: i always say the same thing you got to talk to your kids so parents of black children lose sleep over this parents of white children don't um parents of black children panic constantly that it will be their child in the story parents of white children almost never panic that their. in fact most parents of white children I knew know just reflexively assume that their child would never do such a thing, but they never talk to them about it. They never. um, And so I think like, you need to lose some sleep that your child grows up to be the officer with the knee on the neck. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to lose sleep, that it's my kid's neck, right? Like this is. um, And so I think that my general, because I'm a killjoy at every available opportunity. Your kids are not too young to talk about race. Black children are not afforded that and stop protecting your child's innocence at the expense of my child's life. That's not, that's not how this game's going to get won. So talk to your kids, do it early, do it honestly. So many people say to me, I don't know how to talk to my kid about race. And I'm like, right, because this is one of the great things, right? A whole generation of us were taught to be colorblind. And so we don't have the equipment. Right. Fine, let your kids see you struggle with it. Tell your kids, this is hard. Here's why this is hard. I was taught not to talk about it. Here's why that was bad, right? Like, there's any number of entry points, but just, oh, have the conversation. Tell your kid why my kid can't play with guns, and so please stop asking. Mm -hmm. Tell your kid why, you know, if if you're out with my kid, I need you to stand with her. I need you to not run away from her. I need you to not sass authority figures when you are with her. I mean, right, like... Talk about it, talk explicitly it's It's kids pick up racial bias by about four, so try to beat them to that punch if you can
2: <laughs> Wow Dave, yeah, I think that's good um so so I guess what I would say to folks, and this is i preached about this after Ahmaud Arbery was, was killed. Um, A lot of folks who are a lot of white folks who I think do understand concepts like privilege and and whatnot, want other, when they're talking to their racist aunt and uncle, they want them to understand, they want them to understand privilege. They want them to understand some of the, some of the um, systemic racism, and they just don't have the equipment to understand it. And I think um, rather than try to get them to agree with you that systemic racism exists, or that um, uh, the privilege exists, you may not win that argument, but you might win a policy argument. And this is why I think it's really important for, for, especially for white liberal folks to think about what are specific things that we could get, that we can get um, conservatives, and I'm using the blanket term, uh, get people on the other side of the aisle to agree to that would increase the political power of black people so things like um and and then the community organizing language it's uh bodies ballots and bucks so we've we worked with uh cam ward a local alabama uh legislator on on moving a bill that would give um freed prisoners voting rights immediately so they would walk out of the prison they would get their voting rights back and they, they would have voting power again it's, it's, not an ex- it's not a sexy thing. It's not, as, it's not as exciting as talking about, I think, privilege and that kind of stuff. But these are, these are material, the material conditions that affect people's lives. So if you did something like figure out what, you, what is the issue that's going to affect people in your community, is that, is that going to be? So Alabama, 33% of black men in Alabama can't vote because of a felony conviction that's a stunning it's not because black folks are more criminal it's because i mean we we also look at things like black and white use of drugs they use drugs at the same rate but alabama apple seeds uh, shows that uh you're four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana possession if you're black than if you're white except in huntsville where you're 11 times more likely to be arrested (laughs) if you're black so i mean like that kind of stuff right um and and so you're talking to your crazy uncle Roy. Well, uncle Roy, did you ever smoke weed? Well, yeah, I smoked weed a couple of times, you know? Okay. Well, do you think it's right that if a black person does the same thing that they're four times more likely to go to prison, have that conversation. Right. Right. Um, and he may not, he's not going to, he's not going to join you on a, on a black lives matter March maybe, but if, but I think that's where the conversation happens. And so, uh, Bodies, ballots, voter disenfranchisement, you may make head, headway, but, but looking at policy issues, it is so expensive to maintain racism. Um, you know, just like if, if you want to live, you want to buy a house in this area and you're looking at schools and you go buy a house in Mountain Brook, and it's going to be a lot more expensive than if you bought in Birmingham, is that you're paying, you're paying for racism. Mm. even if you don't realize yeah. it you're paying yeah. every damn day white people are paying to maintain racism and it's just like what's the return on investment i mean just to be crass right what's the return on investment for you <laughs> you are not getting a good deal in this system so you think you're getting a good deal because you got white privilege but you're paying out the ass to live in mountain brook you right, know right, anyway I was, right. so i, I don't know when you, when you were talking <laughs>
1: about policies, you know i'm thinking about even policies around the way that we police. Like, you know, this whole shoot the kill thing. Like, what's wrong with shooting somebody in the knee? You know, shoot them in the foot. You know, why do I have to, if someone, especially if they're running away, like, those are the things that are just most atrocious to me. Like, someone literally is running away from you, and you want to shoot them in the back so they'll go through their chest, you could easily disable those people by shooting them in the
2: leg. Well, most of the time, just shot, shooting a warning shot will stop most people. So here's, yeah. so I'm, I'm going to have to interrupt you here because I think, why the hell shoot at all? I mean, you know where they live. That part. That's the thing that drives me crazy. So you're carrying around a gun. You, we know that the presence of a gun, if you have a gun, you are less likely to back down from a fight. You're going you're gonna to escalate. If someone else has a gun, if the other person has a gun, you, even if you're unarmed, are more likely to escalate. You would think that wouldn't happen, but people are walking right. around with guns, thinking that that's well, this makes me safer. No, you have increased the chances of someone getting shot. I don't think police need guns.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I
2: anyway,
1: Clinton, you got a thing?
2: Uh, I have two things to
0: say in the question. Can I ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I got, okay. So he asked the, ask, ask the question again so I can understand.
1: Like, what would you want your like? What you, well, you you go to a mostly black school. Mm-hmm. But like, what, what would you want your friends to know about how to deal with racism and, and things that you and I'm and I'm right now I'm wincing because i I know you're gonna say something that's gonna hurt me. <laughs> not <laughs> not physically, but something that I know that you will have to do that a fifteen year old white boy your age wouldn't have to do. So what 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 I would have,
0: you say? I got two things to say and they kinda contradict each other. Okay, so the first one I say don't live your life in fear but at the same time, number two you got to do certain things to make sure you don't, you know, end up dying for no reason. So, uh, it's like, it doesn't really make sense. But it's like, you know, you got to be bold, but don't be too bold. That sense. We never tell white boys that. No, we don't. We, we never, we never,
1: we never tell white boys that.
3: It's simultaneously reassuring to me and soul crushing to hear a 15 year old capture why it's hard to talk to your child about this. Because, like, that's as a parent, you want to have, like, be yourself. And also, Tony, you know my daughter. Her superpower is being herself, right? Like, that's <laughs> like, she lives loud.
1: She lives my loud. Is <laughs> she, is a,
3: she is a full body liver. Mm-hmm. Um, and to try to say, like, I want you to be you. I don't want you to go into the world scared, but I need you to go into the world scared. Yeah. And I need you to know yeah. that if somebody asks you to stop, it doesn't matter if they're a police officer. I need you to stop. And it, just and like, it,
1: and we and we never tell white uh, never. Oh and, and we never tell white kids that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I, oh, knew, so- I knew. I knew. I knew this. <laughs> no, that was that I, I was, was that's I, I, powerful. That. Oh, yeah, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm angry. I'm. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm angry, you know, because we we you shouldn't have to live your life any differently than anybody else, you know. Dave has a, well, a year old son 70-year-old. named Leo. Mm-hmm. You know, you shouldn't have to live your life any differently than Leo does, you know. And but you have to. Uh, I I remember when Maurice first started going to Red Mountain, we had gone on this three day camping trip, and some of the white little white boys were running up to some of the cabins and knocking on the door and running. And I'm like, I could see Maurice doing that even in our neighborhood and dying. Mm. So I'm like, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, I only mm-hmm. want you practicing that type of stuff because his reality is going to be different. Brandon and I, mm-hmm. uh, if if y'all want to go back to some of our old um, podcasts, Brandon and I did a podcast about how you have to bring up, you know, black children differently than white kids. And it just, and it just shouldn't mm-hmm. be. So like some of those policy changes, you know, would help. And I and I don't know how easy it's going to get me to get racist grandma and them to go with this. But I mean, like, there shouldn't be a reason why, just because I'm stopped by the police, just because the police are called, that I know that I have an increased risk of losing my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Also, there should just be no reason for a 15-year-old to say something like, you know, try to make sure you don't get killed for no reason.
2: Right, yeah. Well, I just want to observe that I think one of the features of oppression, so there 's an aspect of wisdom that we have to have contradictory things in our heads, but one of the features of oppression is that i have to I have to perform a certain way and it's and it 's completely contradictory, so like I have to be you know like if it 's women it's I have to be sexy, but I also have to be demure and if it's you know if it 's a black kid, I have to be strong, but I also have to be deferential um, and it's like so there are these social expectations that that I, I don't have to live with. I can just do whatever the hell I want because I'm white. And, you know, I, that, should be, that shouldn't be privilege. That should be everybody's God-given, just be you, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, it's, and I feel like, um, I thank you, Quintus, for sharing that. And I think that's, that's extremely powerful.
3: Also, you do have to wonder where the "don't tread on me" folks are when you see somebody with an actual knee on the neck of somebody.
1: Oh God! Yeah. Oh God!
0: Yeah.
3: Don't tread on me. Yeah. I I know. I get that you only meant "don't tread on whatever." White
0: people want as a white person. Right.
3: But like, I would like to see the "don't (sighs) tread on me" folks rise up in protest of a police officer. Literally
2: treading on someone. Oh my god, you're yeah. so right. Last Let's see. Let's thing. See.
1: Well, look, y'all. Uh, this is as uh, fun as usual. You got some other questions? I have a question, but I feel like it's kind of a loaded one. No, go no, ahead.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't really understand because I'm 15 and like none is making of this makes any sense to me. But like, why do you, why do you guys think
2: officers are so scared of black people? Okay, can I answer that real quick? So you I just saw. I just saw someone um, a friend of mine from from college uh shared this on social media because all cops are scared. cops are trained to be scared they 're trained to see citizens as the enemy uh you arm them and it's it 's ridiculous i mean you 'll see eight cops on one person with their guns drawn uh, there was I, there was a thing recently of a of a kid young guy who Police were following him. He pulls into his grandmother's driveway and his 90 year old grandma comes out and gets between the police and him. And I think that's, you've, these people, They're the, the personality profile of police is the same as the personality profile of the people they arrest. Typically. Um, there are good, there are good people who go into law enforcement. Um, but the fact is they're trained to be scared. They're trained to see people as threats. Um, and they're all scared. It's a, what and that's doing. exacerbated by racism. Yes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's exactly. exacerbated by racism. Yeah. It's, there's, there's a fear response and they, there's no rational way to control it because you, your brain cannot keep up with your fear response. Yeah. That's one, that's one thing I, I don't have a whole lot of hope for uh, spiritual conversion, even though I'm a preacher. Um, I just don't think physiologically most people can inhibit their fear response fast enough.
1: But, but it's also something that's taught. Like, you're, you're the, 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 for the police are trained on this, but just the general public, white people are taught yep. to fear black people from the, yep. from the beginning.
0: That's why I think racism will never end.
1: Yeah, it, it, it you know won't end in our time. Let me just tell you that you know we got a black president. That was the worst thing that probably could happen.
2: Well, as far I, as racism went, I used to be very skeptical about people talking about we don't need police, but I do. I think what we need are is a totally different approach to peacekeeping. We need mental health counselors, and we need people who are trained in de-escalation. Um, and you don't need people with guns rolling up on some. I just you know we just are so in love with guns. I'm so in love with violence. Has
3: a gun ever de-escalated a situation? Like, no. wouldn't it just guarantee if a gun shows up that de-escalation go- just became harder? At least.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, look, uh, this has been great, y'all. Uh, we probably need to do a couple more of these. Brian, uh, when do you start school again?
3: Do we start school again? I don't know.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, we can do a couple more of these this summer. Uh, hopefully, there's some more racist stuff. We, well, hopefully, there's not more racist stuff we can talk about. We can talk about the president and his foolishness with this. Um, uh, that's, we, yeah, let's talk about him next week. I want to talk, I wanna talk <laughs> about him next week. Because <laughs> it's just, it's always something like we've been in this, like, never ending shit show since he became president, and it's just not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. But look, that wraps up this show. Again, thank you everybody for listening. If you have any questions, uh, you can uh, hit us up on Facebook at my new page for both of my podcasts called He Hutch Productions. It doesn't have an end though. I'm trying to get a Facebook to let me add an end, and they're being bitchy about it. But He Hutch Production at this point. But both of the podcasts are featured on there. If you have any questions, you know, check us out. Um, y'all, this has been wonderful. Thank you for your transparency. Thank you for your vulnerability, and thank you for your support. Uh, and I tell people all the time, my white friends are the best. <laughs> love you
0: both.
1: <laughs> you can't be friends with me for more than a week if you're white, if you ain't checked your favorite. Because I'm going to make you check your <laughs> And I, I love you both. Thank you. Love, um, you
0: too. love you, Tony. All
1: right. Well, look, we'll talk, talk to y'all later, okay? okay? Sounds good.
0: All right. Bye. Bye.